Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Welcome to the show. We got a great show planned for you. DMs always open. If you got a DM first, put on the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Oh, so much to talk about. And uh, it's holiday time and it's a funky, funky, funky time right now. You know, all that's going on in the world. So, um, you know, we might be misusing some of our coping mechanisms. So we're going to have that difficult adult conversation and talk about, hey, is maybe your alcohol use creating a problem? It's going to be a little bit of a soft, not confrontational conversation. But I think certain times, certain seasons, uh, certain holidays, it's a really good time to really kind of sit down and look at the relationship we have to different coping mechanisms. Always remember the difference between self-care and coping mechanisms. Uh, coping mechanisms are the wide umbrella. That's all of the things we do to deal with whatever's going on in our lives. They can be positive or they can be negative, the impact of the coping mechanisms. <clears throat> self-care are the parts of coping mechanisms that are just positive. Self-care never has a negative outcome. Self-care can only be the things that make us feel better after we do them or while we're doing them. If it's something that starts to create problems or harm in your life, it maybe is a coping mechanism, but it might be a really bad one. And alcohol is one of the ones that a lot of people in our culture turn to. I work with and have always worked with a lot of people that are working with or struggling with their relationship to drugs and alcohol. I don't tend to really use the word addiction because it feels so permanent, feels so black and white. And I prefer to talk about our relationship to drugs and alcohol for because for a lot of us, it's situational and it will change. It's not a static, solid thing. We use the word addiction. We think of things like once an addict, always an addict. And if you're an addict, then you not only can't use drugs, you also can't use alcohol. And you also, and, and for a lot of us, those words don't hold true. It's a little bit too black and white. So I talk about people's relationship to drugs and alcohol. Sometimes it's a little more problematic and other times it's a little healthier and more controlled. And we make the changes that we need to make. Some people might have a problem with drinking but they have no problem using other substances and vice versa. Some people might have an issue with specific substances, but alcohol, their relationship to it is fine. And sometimes it's based on where we are in our lives. A very stressful period, we might misuse alcohol, where at better times, it might be something that we're more successful with. And we have to have an honest assessment. Uh, I'm not going to sling around once a problem, always a problem, because that's not how anything in the world or in psychology works. Um, so it's not to deny that some people have an ever-present, ongoing um, 
always problematic relationship, there are people that that is the case. And for those, they should never be drinking. We also have a really important area of the field that we talk more about now called harm reduction. And that recognizes that for some people, total abstinence from something that might be a problem isn't reasonable for them, might also not even be their goal. And so for them, it's about reducing the harm. That's really what this is about, reducing the harm. I don't want anyone to necessarily perform good sobriety based on what AA wants. I don't want anyone to perform anything. I want us to be realistic with who we are, what we need, and what's possible. Because the goal in all of this isn't to perform perfect sobriety or perfect mental health, it's to have a happy, satisfying life. And any way we can get there is how we're gonna get there. And that's why I'm constantly challenging some of these old misused notions like, let people hit rock bottom. No, let's actually prevent them from having more harm. Let's actually stick around, because we know having important people present in your life is actually a motivating force for getting and staying sober. We People that are struggling need us. We don't kick people out of our homes or out of treatment because they're struggling with depression. We shouldn't kick them out of our lives because they're struggling with alcohol use. That's actually a sign that they definitely need us and they definitely need to be here and they definitely need more treatment and care, not the opposite. It's so backwards. But we're not really talking about any of that tonight. We're talking about our relationship to alcohol. And with those I work with, we talk a lot about how it's very hard because alcohol is part of everything and it's everywhere and it shows up almost every time. Regardless of the day, the function, the time, it's often present or woven into or even expected. So for people that are trying to change their relationship, it often gets very hard, especially around the holidays. Maybe because of loneliness, maybe because of stress, or maybe because of the events and parties that they're attending and how alcohol heavy they are even gift giving. So maybe on the front end, let me go this way. Let me first make it a call to action to just recognize that not everyone has a healthy relationship with alcohol and maybe be very thoughtful about giving alcohol as a gift. You might be giving it to someone where that becomes a trigger. Uh, so maybe don't give alcohol or check in and ask. Also, if you're having a party, maybe have a sober party or have non-alcohol related options, clearly marked so that people that don't drink can also feel like they're present, they're respected, and that they can fully participate. And sometimes maybe try to do some social things that aren't alcohol centered. That's sometimes all you know sober people need or some things you need for harm reduction to not make everything you do about the presence of alcohol, uh, not because it's always a problem, but because at times it could be. And you're just trying to shrink down your exposure or the amount of time or even the triggers. So think about that. Not everything has to have alcohol. Um, I'm a non-drinker. And I remember years ago, I was throwing a sober birthday party, meaning it was my you know natal birth. And it was going to be non-alcoholic because I wasn't drinking. And it was amazing to see people's responses. Well, where's the alcohol? This is a party. That is how fused those words are. We go to a party, we assume alcohol is going to be there. Why? We have to stop culturally normalizing that. It's okay to socialize or celebrate without alcohol always being present. Yeah, imagine that. We're going to take a little break and we're going to talk about how to better assess our relationship to alcohol. You're listening to Love Live with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we are back and uh, we're talking about the kind of assessing the relationship that we have with alcohol. And I know it's a hard conversation because sometimes once we start to identify that maybe it's a little problematic and we need to reduce the harm or reduce the presence it has in our life or maybe even completely remove it from our lives. I just want to honor how uh, profound of a recognition that might be because of the role that alcohol plays in our life. Big alcohol has a strong foothold in our culture and big alcohol, just like big pharma has done a really great job making themselves very prominent and making you feel like these are things that have to be a part of your life. And uh, there it's very much alcohol associated with every holiday or celebration. And that's to our detriment. Alcohol is a very dangerous thing. I just want to point that out that it has a negative impact on every single system in the body. Um, even when they say things like, oh, you can have this many drinks a day. Actually, the better answer is none, but we're talking about lessening the severity and all the benefits that things like wine might provide you can get from just eating the damn grapes. So we don't need to have alcohol in our lives. I want to just kind of hold space for that. And I'm not saying we should remove everything from the beginning of time. We've been utilizing mind altering substances from the beginning of time in every single culture, even animals still to this day will consume certain fruits and berries due to their mind altering um, chemicals, but also compounds and structures. So we're also honoring that life throws at us things that are bigger than what we have the internal resources for. So coping mechanisms aren't bad. I don't want people to think that mental health or sobriety means I don't have coping mechanisms. We need them. Sometimes we will rely on other people, which is a profound source of support. It's not codependence. We need to borrow functioning from people and rely on them. Sometimes we'll use food to cope with our feelings or to celebrate or find joy, uh, sex, um, exercise, all these different things. But we always want to pay attention to our relationship to it. Is it creating some harm? Is it something that we're over-reliant upon? Do we maybe use it to the detriment of having access to other tools? Because it's okay to check out. We don't want to, We don't need to always be fully present. And I think when some people will hear us talk about alcohol, they think that the options are you drink or you're completely abstinent. And there's so many other ways of having alcohol play a role in your life. Sometimes it's just reducing the harm, reducing its presence. Um, and other times it's about utilizing just other things instead. It's okay to want mind-altering substances. There's nothing wrong with that inherently. In fact, only about 10% of people that use drugs misuse them to a point of what would be labeled an addiction. About 90% of people don't misuse illicit substances. Um, they don't necessarily have a negative outcome. So we have to be very thoughtful about how we're stepping into this. Just like it is okay to read a book or take a nap, 
or take a bath when you're having a hard day, you can also use food or sex um, to also shave down some of those sharp edges. We just don't want to use these things. We don't want to overuse them or use them to our detriment. But alcohol and food and sex are really beautiful things that can add joy to our day, can highlight and help us further celebrate, but they can also sometimes be misused or create harm. So Again, we're starting with self-assessment and now that it's the holidays and people are maybe hyper-stressed or they're feeling isolated or it's just based on too many parties and celebration, we wanna kind of have a little bit of a rubric or a thought process so as to assess how's that, how's that going? <laughs> How am I doing with this? Um, these aren't black and white hardline things and when in doubt, consult a mental health professional. But I wanna give you some talking points and some things to kind of think about. So the first one is always, Looking at the response from the people around you and your friends, are the people that you spend a lot of time with, uh, the people that are close to you, are they concerned or showing signs of concern? Have they brought up your relationship to alcohol? Um, anyone who's bringing up these issues, that might be something for you to sit with and think about. That doesn't mean they're right. Sometimes it's situational. That was an exceptionally hard day and you went exceptionally hard on your use of alcohol to dissociate, to disconnect, to, to whatever, soothe. Um, so it's not necessarily, you know, we don't want to assess from a one-off, but we do want to look at a global picture, right? A global assessment of your level of functioning around this substance. And those around us, those that we spend the most time around, well, sometimes they're a mirror. They can really hold up a reflection as to what role this is playing in our lives and whether or not maybe we need to do some work with it or around it. So if your friends are safe, maybe ask, or if they brought it up, sit down and talk with them and say, I noticed you said that. Can we talk more about that? Um, and really maybe kind of process with them their experiences with you. It's not worth getting into an argument over. They're not the final say. Um, and maybe they have a stake in this that isn't something, you know, that makes you not really want to honor their feelings. But we want to be thoughtful about it. We want to consider it. And so that's always the first one. If, if the people around you, people you care about seem worried, um, and you still want to just kind of keep going or keep drinking uh, and their fears or their concerns just don't have relevance, that, that might be a sign of a problem. Um, not that, again, that it's always correct, but we want to always, there's also like this caveat to that. It's not just about them reflecting back the role it might play in our lives. It's also, we do want to care about the impact we're having on others. If our drinking feels okay to us, but it's always creating a problem for others, then it, then we can't say it's working. And that might mean we need to explain ourselves to our friends or we need to unpack their feelings about it, but it does require something. We do want to have empathy and awareness of impact. So there is a conversation to be had. Um, we got to take a break. We're going to come back and keep talking about ways to assess the role alcohol plays in our life. And then we're going to be sliding into those DMs. So if you have a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our love line IG page. You know the drill. Questions you got, topics you want covered, something you want us to circle back to. And uh, past episodes, always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for the show, and click on it. They're all there. You can binge, post, share, re listen. But uh, stick around. We got more to come. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. And we'll be right back. All right, y'all, we are back and we're talking about the role alcohol plays in our life. And I, you know, for most things, uh, coping mechanisms, we all have them. We just want to look at the impact they're having on us because we want our coping mechanisms to really fall more under the rubric of self-care, which means they don't harm us. They don't make our lives harder or worse off. That would be what we'd call like a maladaptive problematic coping mechanism. And alcohol can go either way. So we're really honestly looking at it and we're being kind with ourselves in this assessment. Uh, but it's a really important thing to pay attention to. So we're kind of 
looking at the role it plays, as they say. So the first thing you're looking at is just the impact it's having on the people around you and, and whether or not they're weighing in on, yikes, are you going to drink tonight? Or wow, last week was really hard or rough. Like these are signs and cues that maybe there's something to look at. Maybe not. Might have been situational. But if your friends and family members don't like drinking around you or get nervous when you drink or, you know, cringe, something to look at. I think we've normalized drinking problematically. And I think we've normalized um, letting it kind of stick around longer than we should. It's, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to look at it. It's okay to maybe even just let it go. Uh, but our friends, our friends and our family members, as we care about, they're, they're, they're a good uh, mirror for us to kind of see the reflection. Um, also, if you're worrying about it, <laughs> you're with yourself, you understand the gravity and the power and the draw it has, you understand whether or not you feel like you have other options, you're really well aware of the psychological and emotional impact it's had on you. How do you feel about it? Are you proud about how you are in relationship to your drinking and the things you do while drinking? If we do problematic things when we're drinking, we should stop drinking, kind of period. It's really that simple. I know it doesn't feel that simple, but anything that causes problems, you gotta really ask yourself, why am I keeping this in my life? It's not as simple as that. It's definitely more nuanced and complex, but there's there's something in that to sit with. Um, and why is it that it needs to be present whenever you're leaving the house? Ask yourself that. Can I maybe take a break, reduce its presence? Uh, reduce the use a little bit because sometimes that's all we needed to do is to just challenge ourselves to do that. And then we find out that we have that ability and that flexibility or the opposite. We realize, wow, I'm a little more attached to it than I thought. It was a little harder to do. I wasn't able to be as present as I wanted to be. You know, we gotta, we gotta kind of swirl that around, but start by asking yourself, am I drinking too much? When was the last time I went without drinking? Or when was the last time I went socializing without drinking? What other coping mechanisms might I have? What else could I do or could I have done? Can I go to this party and not drink? Can I go to this party and drink less? Can I have people over without including booze, without us all getting wasted? Can I have a game night where we just focus on food, fun, and friends? If you can't even imagine that, or your friends couldn't imagine that, there's something in that to look at. So sit and think about it. Are you consuming too frequently? Or are you consuming too much? Are you concerned with the outcomes as a result of your drinking, where you're finding yourself, the situations, the feelings? That's important. Like our, our mental health means more. <laughs> our physical and mental health have to mean more than just continuing to participate in these social norms and expectations that I will drink because I'm with my friends or we will go to a bar when we go out. Maybe say to your friends, let's do a game night instead of going to a bar. Instead of having alcohol, let's focus on food. Try to, try to switch that because sometimes it might not be us. It might be the people we're spending time around that for them, alcohol is really important. Or maybe it's not. It's just that we've gotten in that pattern of that habit where whenever we hang out, it's always at a bar or someone's always bringing over a six pack. So sometimes it's just that it is that situational, but we need to be aware of that to change that. We need to be aware of it, to change it, to test it, to find out how flexible are we with it? Cause that's a key. Good coping mechanisms. We have many of them. We're not over-reliant. It's not rigid. We can choose. It's that choice. They don't have a negative impact on us is the ideal. So really, really, really look into that. Anything that's affecting your physical or mental health, it's a good idea to dig deeper into and maybe take a break from. Often it's in taking a break or in trying to drop its use or frequency is when we realize how, how attached, how reliant we are. So that, that's sometimes where we learn a lot. And that's why I like it when people are like, ah, sober November, or, you know, in the new year, I'm going to, you know, drink less or whatever it is. Setting that goal and seeing how, how successful you are with achieving it, 
tells us a lot. But it can, like I said in the earlier segment, it can scare us to have to look at that because when we get that information or that data, we sometimes have to do something with it, right? We, we, we call it forward, we bring it up, we shine a light on it, and then we might have to make some changes. And that's the thing, again, alcohol is so present in so many things in our culture that to opt out of that sometimes means a restructuring of your social life and your life in general. When I stopped drinking, I realized that as well. I was going to bed earlier and getting up earlier. I was interested in hanging around different kinds of people and places, uh, nightlife, late nights, bars, clubs. They, they weren't for me anymore. Those are spaces for drinking and a certain kind of socialization. That, that isn't for me anymore. I'm okay with that, uh, but not everyone is because for some people that's still a very centralized place that they socialize and meet people. And um, that's all. That's not to say that you can't go there without drinking. You can. You can go there without drinking. You can stay as long as you're comfortable. You can leave whenever you need to. So it doesn't mean a complete absence. It doesn't have to be a complete restructuring, but for some people it will be, and it does mean that. And so I understand the anxiety in this acknowledgement because sometimes when we step into these things and acknowledge them, it's hard to uh, reel them back in. And, and disavow ourselves of it. Um, all right, coming up next, we're going to slide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, questions you got, topics you want covered, and then we're gonna come back to talking about and assessing the role alcohol plays in our life. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Mikey. I've been struggling with seasonal depression for a while, but for some reason, last few winters have been really rough for me. I'm now at the point where I'm anticipating the next oncoming weeks to be terrible, and it makes me literally not want to get out of bed. I know that you also go through this, so I was wondering if you ever anticipate the next weeks and what you do to get out of your head about it. Um, so I uh, have it differently in that it's the heat and the summer and the sun that really drops me into the depression. The winters are really soothing for me and uplifting and I function at my best. So it's the summer heat that kind of kicks my butt. Um, yes, when I know it's coming, I just prepare for it. Um, I stay indoors more. I got that air conditioning bumping and jumping. Everyone around me knows that I'm not going to be out in the heat of the sun doing things. So I really just set boundaries around it. And I just focus in more on self-care. I remind myself that, yes, this is happening. But I tell myself this depression isn't a sign that anything bad is going wrong in my life. It's just part of the seasonal shifts and changes. And so I still participate in my life fully. I carry it with me. You know, part of mental health is learning how to sometimes be anxious or depressed. And we take it with us through the day. Just like if we were having a good day, we would go shopping and go to the gym having a little bit of seasonal depression, I still go shopping and I still go to the gym. In fact, I make it mandatory for myself that I'm not going to feed that depression because again, there's really nothing for me to learn from it. There's no reason to go into it. It's not like typical non-seasonal based depression where we should go into it. We should sit with it. We should see what it's calling, what it's asking for, what changes in our lives need to be made because that's what depression is. Like any emotional experience, it's a calling and we want to go into it and understand what it's communicating to us, what it's directing us towards. What areas of our life might need some changing? Um, what, it, what is the meaning of that? Because it's a symptom of something. But seasonal effective, I just know that the heat's going to create that. The summers are going to be hard. And so I still make sure I'm socializing. I still make sure I'm staying connected. I don't let it overwhelm me. I don't add layers of complexity by saying I feel bad and I also shouldn't be feeling bad. So now I feel bad that I feel bad. I don't do that. And I try to still carve out fun and joy. I let myself rest. I let myself stay indoors. I try to participate in things that are going to have, you know, air conditioning involved. 
and I don't beat myself up about it. And so I think that's what you need to do. Realize winters are hard for you. Um, and you're going to still try to create plans, stay connected to people, carve out joy, focus on self-care. They also have light boxes that are really good for some daily light therapy if you feel like that's going to help. Um, and also some people knowing that it's coming sometimes go on a short term um, antidepressant knowing that's coming about two weeks or so prior, giving it time to really build up and, and, and kick in. And they kind of ride out with the uh, aid of that. So see how that goes. And if not, you know, again, you might want to reach out and talk to your doctor about treating seasonal affective or a therapist. But again, you don't really need psychotherapy because it's not any, rooted in any mental health issue or struggle or disorder. It's a natural response to the change of the seasons. And so it's just about really treating or dealing with the symptoms, knowing that it's tied to nothing more than that. And as soon as the heat and the sun come back, you'll be fine. Um, but it's hard, you know, I'm not diminishing it. I have it myself, but like I said, it's during the summer. So I pull my blinds and I stay indoors more and I just kind of really go soft with myself, right? I'm very kind and caring with myself during that time, knowing it's hard. Also knowing that there's a social impact. A lot of people in LA during the summer are out doing more and they're doing things that are summer and heat and sun-based. And so I try to create plans that involve movies and indoor shopping and going to see art and all the other things I like to do. So I still get myself out there. Um, we get confused. I think when we're depressed, we immediately assume something's wrong. You know, I have a disorder. I have a brain imbalance issue. And it's like, no, it's none of that. It's just literally cause and effect. The shorter, shorter sunshine time, you know, the seasons and the night getting longer and all that just impacts us differently. So hang tight, hang in there. Don't panic. <laughs> don't panic, but still try to find ways to participate in things that feel good to you. And just be very open about it with those around you. People tend to be very caring and very understanding, especially when it's tied to the winter, because for a lot of people, that's something that they're very familiar with. Um, but knowing that it's coming every year, I have an older brother who suffers very, very deeply um, on the East Coast because it's cold, it's dark. And he started doing light box therapy. And about a week or so before knowing that the uh, cold weather's coming, he goes on an antidepressant and he just you know, keeps plugging along. And then magically, not magically, but as expected, when the warmer weather comes and the sun's out more, he pulls out and he knows that. So he doesn't panic, he doesn't worry. He just kind of allows and, you know, does what he needs to do. Awesome question. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. Stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, we're back and we're talking about our relationship to alcohol. Why? A lot of reasons. I mean, I think first off, it's something that we should often be stopping in and checking in on. Um, you know, one of the messages I want everyone to take away from tonight's show is that we have, it's not just a matter of am I an addict or am I not? And if you, you know, do one of those online assessments or whatever it is for whatever reason, determine you're not, it's not like, ah, wipe your hands, case closed. You know, that's why I don't use words like addiction. It feels so binary, so black and white, so on or off. And we will always have a different relationship to drugs or alcohol at different times in our lives, around different people, in different spaces. And we always want to be paying attention and monitoring monitoring that. I can't even put these words together. Uh, and that's because, again, like I said, throughout the lifespan, it's going to play a different role in our lives. And we always want to be checking in on it. I don't want it to be just as, just as much as like, ah, issue or non-issue. Um, and we know that for some people, there might be a time when they need to take a break or reduce its use, the frequency or the amount. And then there's times where we can come back to it. It's not necessarily if it's bad at some point, it's always bad. Although having said that, I do think that if alcohol is causing problems in your life, it might be very reasonable to take a break or to reduce. Uh, it, it should be something that is enhancing 
Because again, we're always trying to move from coping mechanisms, which are literally anything we use to cope that can have a negative impact into something that's a little more self-care. And yes, alcohol, although it, you know, my God, the stats aren't great, right? It impacts every system in the body. It's related to 75 to 80% of all domestic violence cases and acts of violence. So it's got a really gnarly history. And I do think we need to not have it such a, you know, woven into every single thing we do, every event, every holiday, every celebration, every weekend, every time we leave the house. But having said that, I do think that sometimes it can be much like food, something that adds, you know, layers of celebration and communion and coming together just check in on it. So the first couple of things we we're talking about as a way to like really start to assess is are people that spend time around you or people close to you concerned about it? Look at that. Find out more. Don't be defensive. Ask them why. Ask them how. Um, also, how do you feel about the way you've seen yourself relate to alcohol and more importantly, the relate to others while consuming alcohol and bigger than that, the impact it's having on all the important things to you. What else do we need to think about? Well, when do you use it? When are you using when you have a hard day all the time, any day, is it to celebrate? I mean, this isn't the, you know, foolproof, uh, rubric to run it through. But I often say one of the things we can think about is that if we're having a good day and we want to be celebratory, I'm more comfortable with you folding in alcohol because it tends to amplify what we're already feeling. So if you're feeling great, celebratory, great, amp it up. Um, again, not foolproof, but it's something to think about. However, for having a hard day, a sad day, that is not the time to use it because it will most likely amplify our anger, our frustration, our loneliness. So you need to stop and ask yourself, what role am I attempting to have it play in my life? More importantly, what am I trying to do with it? What am I trying to get it to do? What kind of experience am I trying to have with it? And again, positive, I feel better. Negative, not so much. But that's the problem is that we tend to turn to it most problematically when we're having those negative struggles. Um, it's definitely not a solution. It often makes things worse or it just kind of delays them. So really think about that. Again, I always go back to my before, during, and after. How are you feeling before? How are you feeling during? How do you feel after? And that really helps us get a sense of the relationship we have to whatever it is that you know we're working with or thinking about in our lives. Um, also, here's another one. You often end up drinking or consuming more than you had wanted to. That's a sign of not being in control. Now, the funny thing about even saying that like that is that alcohol is inherently something that takes our executive functioning offline and really reduces our judgment and our ability to have boundaries and impulse control and future orientation and the consideration of consequences. And so intoxication isn't something, is, let me say it differently, intoxication, when we talk about, are you drinking more than you expect to? Well, when you start getting intoxicated, that's the state within which we're hoping you're able to track, should I be drinking more or should I stop? But that state that you're in as a result of starting to drink isn't one that's gonna provide clear answers or a clear assessment. So we're expecting a, a, a moment in our intoxication journey to, to provide for us clear headedness to assess if we should stop and if we've had enough, but it can't do that. And so that's why you have to try to plan that ahead of time and then hope while get, starting to get intoxicated that you'll be able to step into and hold yourself accountable to the goal you set. It, it really doesn't get the plane off the ground. And so that's why I don't think that's the most ideal way to do it. 
is I'll just keep checking in on myself as I'm drinking. Well, the more you drink, the less you're going to be able to do that because of everything I said, your assessments off your judgment, your forward future orientation and the consideration of consequences. So that's not the best time to really hope that those, um, defenses or structures or judgments spring into place because alcohol starts to actually weaken and remove them. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and keep talking about this. So stick around for that. Uh, DMs always open, right? So go to the uh, DMs on our Loveline IG page and just plug in there any question you got for us. Topic you want covered and uh, then we'll be back talking about this and past episodes. Always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. But uh, stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back and uh, talking bravely, courageously, and also compassionately about looking at the relationship that drugs and alcohol play in our lives. It's something we always want to be assessing uh, because it can change at different phases and different contexts at different relational stages. Sometimes we're in relationships where more people around us are drinking or less. Maybe we're dating someone who uses a lot of alcohol or less. Maybe we're in a relationship or a phase in our life where we're more stressed or less stressed. So it's going to be like an ebb and flow. It's not a one and done where I am an addict or I'm not. And that's why I stay away from words like that because they're too rigid. They're too defining. And there's a lot of implications around them. Like once an addict, always an addict. Or if I'm not an addict, I never will be. And it's like, let's step outside of that. And let's just talk about the fact that we have a relationship with drugs and alcohol. And we're constantly looking at what our current relationship is to them. Is it uh, something that we need less, you know, more space from, uh, less duration, less quantities, uh, checking in on that. But what is the role it's playing in our lives? So the way we're really assessing that, and again, as always, for deeper, more profound explorations of this, see, see a mental health professional. We're just talking about a loose rubric that maybe actually helps you decide whether or not you need to look at it further. And we're looking at the way people around us are feeling about our alcohol use. We're self-assessing, honestly. We're looking at whether or not we use it to cope with difficult things, if we have access to other coping mechanisms. Um, Looking at whether or not we take it too far and we're doing it too often, more so than we had planned or had hoped for. Uh, Some people are really good at saying one drinks or two drinks or no drinks and they hold to that. Others, they'll do that and they never stick to it. So that, you know, those are ways that we really assess how much control or power does it have over us. Um, while recognizing that it's going to be really hard to have control over something that inherently is used to lower inhibitions and takes our judgment offline and clouds our functioning. And so it's a really hard thing to assess in those moments. Um, here's another really powerful one. Are you constantly thinking about when you can or when you will drink next? Are you basically watching the clock and just waiting for 4 p.m., 5 p.m., 6 p.m. or to get home or to get out of work or whatever it is to be able to drink? Because if it's playing that much of a dominant role in your life, if it's the center point, if it has that much power and appeal, then it might be something to think about. It might be something to look at. What would it mean if you didn't that day? What would it mean if you took a, a day off or a week off or a month off? Does that scare you? Because we don't want to have something in our life that has that much power and that much draw. It's kind of when we talk about disordered eating. Some people, they set up these quote unquote meal plans for quote unquote fitness reasons, but it's really about disordered eating and they're no longer willing to go out and eat at restaurants. They're no longer willing to eat on dates. And this idea of fitness gets in the way of the health of their life because they're so obsessed and the priority becomes about this meal plan and how they look and their body goals to the detriment of what really matters and what's most important to them. Well, we can do that with alcohol as well. Are we unwilling to go to places that don't have alcohol? Are we eager to get out of places where we can't drink so that we can drink? 
Um, are we constantly watching the clock or waiting for the evening to arrive or the weekend? To the detriment of being present at our job, around our friends, with family members, going to events where alcohol is not you know, accessible, um, and maybe the inverse. Are we constantly bringing alcohol into times, places, and spaces where it's not appropriate, where we're not going to be at our best? Um, that matters too. Like where is it and when is it and with who are you drinking? Early morning, um, things that aren't really rooted in that, that. Those are really good red flags. You know, sometimes it's a good assessment. Is everyone else doing this? Uh, there's, there's times when that actually is a little bit helpful. So those are early warning signs. When you notice that alcohol is becoming a center point and it's playing an abnormally high role or takes an abnormally high priority, you know, where you're planning your day, your time, your weekend, even your vacation around access to drinking, um, going out of your way to justify its inclusion. So cutting back um, on some activities or people and places so that you can drink instead alone or at home is another good sign that like something's going on. So for cutting back on things you like to do, the gym, time with friends, because you want to go home and begin drinking or hide it, ding, 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 take a look at that. Um, here's another really big one. If you've put yourself or others in danger, it's pretty, that's a hard one because um, it impacts both our decision-making, it impacts our reaction time. Here's a stat, just having two drinks, um, depending on your height, weight, and tolerance can make it hard for you to do more than one thing at a time and assess moving objects. Ew. Once you hit three drinks, you start to lose coordination, alertness, and overall judgment in emergency situations. See my point? Things happen, things pop up. We need to have access to certain resources. Um, so that matters. So if drinking is affecting uh, your ability to take care of yourself, it's placing you or others in harm or dangerous situations or has caused physical injury, the answer can't ever be, well, alcohol means more to me, so I'm just going to allow that or keep doing that. That's another sign of a problem. Because someone who's in control would say, anything that's creating problems to people that are important to me, right? Or, or really taking control of my life. Well, of course my life and these people mean more. And if you're the inverse, something to sit down and talk about. And then this even extends itself into like, what if you're realizing all this applies to someone else stepping into that difficult conversation? Um, so when we, we're going to take a break in a minute and when we come back, we'll kind of start to unpack that. Like, what do you do if all this applies to somebody else? Because it's a really hard thing. Not everyone's open, uh, to being, to being told that you have a concern and we don't always have a good enough relationship with someone to step into that. Or maybe we don't feel like we have enough information, but like we still have some concerns and red flags. Um, so we'll talk about what to do with that because I do want us to be responsible, not responsible for others, but I want us to be a part of other people's process and their mental health and providing whatever insight we can, but it has to be done reasonably, appropriately, compassionately. So we'll spend some time doing that. Um, and then, of course, we'll close out the show with some DMs. So uh, still some time to drop them in there. Questions you got, topics you want covered. And uh, we are channelq.com. That's where you'll find the past episodes, especially the ones from earlier tonight for those that are really trying to track some of the things we're talking about as a uh, structure or template to apply to their own drinking to get a better sense. So, um, okay, we'll stick, uh, stick around. We're going to take a break, and then we'll come back talking about how do we really bring this to other people because some of you are thinking, this is not something I need to hear. This is something someone else needs to hear. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, we're back and we're, we're talking about alcohol. Uh, 
It's a touchy situation for people themselves for their own self-reflection. It's also, you know, a hard topic to approach someone else about. People get very sensitive, very protected around these topics. No one wants to be told that something they're doing might be causing a problem if maybe they're starting to think it is, but they're not aware or not, not that they're not aware, but they're not ready to maybe confront what that means. Cause sometimes that's what, that's what the issue is. Not that they're afraid to recognize that there might be a problem, but what would the consequences of that recognition be? What changes are going to be needed to be made? Because essentially when you start to maybe try to approach someone about saying like, Hey, I, I care about you. And I want to see if you're open to discussing some concerns I might have about your drinking that, you know, a lot of people are aware that what you're actually kind of saying is you might need to stop and that maybe they do. And what would that mean? Cause it reorients their life. And so I think we have to be very thoughtful, but I do want us to try. I want us to be aware of boundaries. I want us to be aware of appropriateness. I don't want us to health police, which means thinking that we have a right to weigh in on someone's lifestyle choices um, because we think that you know it's detrimental to their health. We talk a lot about that with people that are larger bodied and fat identified. You do not need to let them know what your thoughts are on their body shape or size or what they're eating or their health. Everyone at this point is very well aware of all these different pieces and people are trying to find you know, confidence and peace and desirability in the body they have. And we need to have better boundaries around that. We don't talk about people's bodies and things like concerns about someone's alcohol use can sometimes fall under some of that and can be very weaponized and, and become abusive and really make people feel very unsafe. So we want to be very thoughtful about who we're approaching and how we're approaching. So that's the first question. How comfortable are you with this person? How well do you know them? How safe of a relationship do you have? Are you the kind of person that they know well enough where they would listen? I don't think we should come in hot. I think if we don't know them that well, or if we haven't ever talked about such topics, we should maybe work on building that kind of intimacy first. Unless someone is in grave danger and maybe harming themselves or others outright, we wanna be very thoughtful because what people really need is connection. So, and we never wanna punish anyone over that. If someone isn't open to hearing about they're drinking or they don't agree with you, the answer isn't cut them out or get rid of them. <clears throat> in fact, it's quite the opposite. We then definitely need you and we need you to stick around and we need people to stick around. Um, people don't tend to get sober in isolation. They need reasons. And oftentimes the motivations start external and then they become internal. The external ones are that people I care about are bringing it up or that things that are important to me are negatively impacted. It's external. And then they start to develop an internalized reason for it because they build a life that means more because they start to build things that they can't have while also drinking and they prefer that or they build you know more confidence, whatever it is. But we, we often need those external pieces before we internalize. So we don't wanna cut people out. Um, so you have to be very thoughtful about who you're approaching and how you're approaching. Um, it's not a decision for you to make. And, um, we do talk a lot about harm reduction. We don't just cut people out. So we can guide them towards the discussion. We can guide them towards some resources. We can guide them towards online self-assessments. Um, we can let them know that we're there if they ever need to talk about it. And that's what you really need to do. Let them know that you're there. Let them know that you care. Let them know that you're someone who's safe to talk about this. Let them know that these conversations don't have to promise anything, that it's still up to them to decide what they want to do. And hold that space and know that this isn't a one-off. Know that these, you know, we have these, this thing called the stages of change. And not everyone 
even while recognizing something might be a problem, we don't step right into action stage where they identify as a problem and I'm going to be a, you know in therapy tomorrow and maybe an AA meeting the night after and alcohol's cleared out. Some people stay in what we call the contemplation stage, which is the stage before action where they need more time to really think about it, to really assess it, to make peace with it. And that stage, contemplation, can be for days, weeks, months, and even years. And it isn't at your pace, it's at their pace. And we can help them along by continuing to discuss, look at the consequences, look at the options, but it's up to them to step into the action stage because we don't force mental health treatment on someone. In fact, we can't. Therapy can't be forced on someone, nor should it. It's not an arm of the legal system, and I don't ever want it to be. Um, I, only, I only work with and believe therapy can only happen with people that are open to it and choose it. it. It cannot work any other way. We do not do mind control, nor should we, nor can we. So you have to meet people where they're at. Some people are actually in the pre-contemplation stage, which means they're not even open or aware to considering it being a problem. And you have to allow them to be there. You can help them see some evidence maybe, you can help talk about it, but you know you can help guide them into the contemplation and then at some point maybe action. But you have to let people be where they are and meet them where they are. So the answer really is care and compassion, go slow, be loving, stick around, stay connected, stay present, don't force, don't blame, don't attack. And that's kind of the same thing I offer to anyone around any difficult topic, um, especially around the holidays. No one wants to feel marginalized or excluded. Um, so just let them know I'm here. We can chat. And if they take you up, they take you up. And if they don't, they don't. And on we go. Um, it's an important topic though. So I want us to keep thinking about it, but that's why we always have to start with our self-assessment first, looking at your relationship to it now based on what's going on in your life, knowing that maybe that will change. Maybe it won't, you know, sometimes it's more chronic, other times acute. Uh, but again, past episodes or the rest or to go back and listen to this one is over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for love line, click on it. Otherwise we're going to take a break and we'll be back and we'll be uh, doing some DMs, sliding on in them. So stick around for that. You're listening to love line with Dr. Chris on channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around y'all. Cause we will be right back. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I'm 32 years old, but I find myself attracted to younger people. Awesome. I find myself attracted to all sorts of ages of people, and sometimes younger, sometimes older. Do you, boo? Uh, back to your question, you said I tend to only date 23 to 27-year-olds. Okay, but remember, that doesn't mean you always have to or only have to. There, I'm sure there's people that are in their 30s or 40s that if you didn't know their age, you might find them attractive as well. So don't don't dig your heels into something because it's normally what you're attracted to. Uh, you know, be open, be open. Um, you said mostly because you think people in that age bracket are more fun to you. Okay, but I'm going to challenge that because there are people in their 40s and 50s. I'm not 23 to 27 and I'm lots of lots of fun. Whether y'all believe it or not, I don't know how I come across on the radio. I swear I'm fun. I like to do a lot of things, always full of joy generally. Um, and I'm a lot older than that. So that's 
I think you're stereotyping and that's the problem. We get a little too comfortable with the fact that we date taller people, shorter people, older people, younger people. And it's like, yes, sometimes, maybe traditionally, but there are a lot of people outside those parameters that might also be an awesome match for you because fun exists at every age. There's a lot of people that are between 23 and 27 that are not fun because they're struggling socioeconomically or with identity or with family or with work or with education. Like that's a, that's a big sweeping statement to assume that only fun exists in 23 to 27 and that they're inherently more fun. So just be cautious about that. But then your question, you said people my age don't go out or do the things I like to do. Um, I find that impossible and most likely not true. I can't imagine that people in the 32 age bracket uh, don't like to go out or do things. Uh, you said, nonetheless, though, that people tell you that you need to grow up, start spending time at home and relaxing. But to me, you said going out to conscious and bars is still fun. Your question is, is that wrong of me? No. There's, what do you mean is that wrong of you? There's no expectation that should ever be placed upon anyone because of their age. Chronology promises nothing and it tells us nothing. Knowing someone's age does not tell me how fun they are. It does not tell me how um, healthy they are to be someone's partner. Someone's age does not tell me how mature they are. Someone's age tells me absolutely nothing but how many years chronologically they've been on this planet. And whatever you can find in older people, you can often find in younger people and vice versa. We don't want to stereotype. So if you, you don't need to grow up though. I don't agree with that part. I think you need to be a little more open in your boundaries with age, but there's nothing wrong with liking younger. Do do what feels good to you. But um, no, you don't ever have to spend time at home if you don't want. Um, you're allowed to go to concerts and bars till your 80s and 90s if that's who you are and what makes sense to you. But there are people in their 30s and 40s and 50s that are also going to concerts and bars. I, If you've ever been to a bar or concert and you claim you go all the time, I cannot imagine that the only people there are 23 to 27. Here in Hollywood, I drive by bars, I frequented them for many years, and there's people of all ages. So I find your question not really rooted in at least my reality and maybe a lot of other people's. But no, there's nothing inherently pathological with liking bars, not liking to be home a lot, or traditionally dating people younger than you. I'm in a committed serious relationship with someone a decade younger than me and seamless because it's about finding someone who works for you and not getting hung up on their age and their weight and their income and their height and all that. That's a mess. So I do want you to quote unquote grow up a little bit around rigidly making these assumptions about people based on their age because that's not honest and that's not going to help you or help them. But the places you like to go and the energy you're looking for, you are allowed to want that and seek that at any time in your life. And I don't agree that at a certain age, you have to stop going to bars. I don't enjoy that world, but you're not trying to date me. So it doesn't matter what I think or what I enjoy. Be where you are in your life. The goal of mental health is authenticity. So if that's you, be you, do you. You know what I mean? Because that's what I want everyone to do. Just be themselves. We need more of that. And stop filling these roles and playing, you know, performing these different identities. So I like that question, though. Every now and then these age gap relationship things come up because people just automatically assume whoever's older is somehow being manipulative or has an immaturity. No, there's so much more to it than that. But good luck out there, kiddo. <laughs> Do your thing, though, you know? Bam. All right, y'all, if you got a question for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Questions you got, topics you want covered, things you want us to circle back to, happy to always hear from you. And whatever questions you got, you know, someone else is maybe wondering the same thing, so we all learn from it. And past episodes of the show are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, click on Loveline. They're all there. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to those around you. 
and enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 